returning to 1 Samuel, I, I believe I'm going to combine this into two last messages from 1 Samuel. Samuel. Tonight we'll look at chapter 28, which is a little, little different. Uh, some dis there's some disagreement among the commentators as to what's going on in this passage. So we're coming to the, getting to the close of 2 Samuel. And, excuse me, 1 Samuel, excuse me, 1 Samuel. And uh, with the close of the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we we're coming up to the close of the life of King Saul. And it comes with a tragic ending. And in this chapter, chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, we see really the lead up to that ending. In 1 Samuel 28, you know, throughout Saul's life, especially the latter part of it, you have lessons to be learned concerning disobeying God and losing our direction in life, losing, not following the direction that God wanted us to follow with our life. And here we see it even perhaps more potently in this chapter 28, where in this chapter we find three proofs of the holiness, of the hopelessness of disobeying God and losing His direction for our lives. So in 1 Samuel 28 tonight, we'll look at three proofs of the hopelessness of disobeying God and losing His direction for our lives. And those three proofs should help warn us against going astray from God's leading in our lives. It's a, a warning. The first proof that we'll look at in 1 Samuel 28 of the hopelessness of disobeying God and losing his direction for our lives is Saul's desperate attempts to hear from God. His desperate attempts, failed attempts to hear from God in 1 Samuel 28. We'll look at that in the first 11 verses. Then we'll look at the second proof of the hopelessness of disobeying God and losing his direction for our lives in the message of doom that Samuel or the spirit here, uh, perhaps uh, even an evil spirit that gives this message to Saul, this final message claiming to be a message from God or from Samuel through the witch of Endor. And then we'll finally look at the third proof of the hopelessness of disobeying God and losing his direction for life as we see Saul's distraught reception of this message of doom in the final verses of this passage. But, you know, of course, we want to come away um, tonight. We want to come away looking at how we do not want to repeat this. We don't, we don't need to be discouraged on behalf of Saul. His life here is an example for us. Um, it, it's uh, not a happy tale here, kind of a, a, really a tragedy uh, for Saul. You know, he had so much going for him at the beginning and then it just all fell apart, but he made choice after choice that led to this. And even in this passage, some, some, ba some really bad choices that he made. Let's look at the, let's, let's uh, look at the opening verses right after we pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again for everyone who is here tonight. I pray that you'd speak to us through your word. pray that you would encourage us that uh, just because you know, Saul's life ends and so many people, when they, when they turn away from you and disobey you time after time after time, there's, there's consequences and, and uh, losing direction in life it can lead to a sense of hopelessness. Lord, I pray that we would provide the hope for this world through your gospel and through living out your gospel and living for your glory every day and that we would never lose sight of that hope that is within us that uh, Saul left lost sight of and so many people in this world lose sight of and I pray that we would present that hope to the world through the light of your word the light of the gospel the light of you shining through us every day and I just pray that we'd be all, all the more encouraged or determined to do so by the inspiration of your word through this, this story tonight of King Saul and the hopelessness that he reached toward the end of his life. And just admonish us through this for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 1 Samuel 28, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I, keep, therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Now remember, David is living this double life, what we saw in chapter 27, where he is living in Philistine territory, and allegedly attacking, making raids on southern Judah. But in fact, he's attacking the Amalekites, he's attacking other Canaanite peoples, other enemy people of the Jews in the land of Canaan and to the south of Judah. And he's bringing back word by, to Achish, the king of the Philistines, that he's making attacks on, the, on Judah, on his own people and leads him to believe that in chapter 27, really living a double life there, and just leaving no one to tell, you know, dead men tell no tales, he's leaving no one to tell the story of what he's really doing. And so Achish tells David that he's going to go out to battle against King Saul, against, his, against David's people. And David says, you know, whether this is what David's actually going to do, because so far he has not done it, David says he is going to go out with Achish to battle against his people. And Achish intends for him to do so. Now we'll see that storyline continued next week. Uh, we'll see that that does not happen. God prevents David from going to the battle against Saul personally. He does not prevent the Philistines from going to battle against Saul. And Saul is very concerned about that. Perhaps Saul even knows that David is on the Philistine side. And he knows that God is on David's side. So he knows everything is going against him now. And he's in deep trouble. And so verse 3, we find Saul in a very desperate place in his life. He, he, he should have sought God's direction earlier in life. He should have followed God's direction. He should have obeyed while he had the opportunity, you know, while he had the, the word of God with him. While Samuel was still alive, when Samuel retired to Ramah, you know, David went to Samuel and was encouraged by him, took counsel from him. We don't see that Saul did that while Samuel was still alive. 
In this passage, we're going to see Saul's going to attempt to get information, attempt to get counsel and encouragement of some sort from Samuel when all else fails after Samuel himself is actually dead. So it's a, it's a little strange here. I don't think really there's any other passage, you know, correct me if, if you can think of one, like this in the Bible. It's a, it's a strange, interesting passage. I've always kind of had, you know, going back to my days in Sunday school and high school, this was, this was an interesting topic of conversation, discussion in class. I remember all the way back to then, and I've always kind of kept my same opinion of it, and I'll share that with you. But a lot of commentators have a different view of this, and they could be right, they could be right. But it's an interesting situation, but it's all set up because of this first proof of the hopelessness that Saul has reached now because of his disobedience to God. This hopelessness that he's reached because, and the proof of that hopelessness is, he cannot get a word from the Lord. He cannot get counsel from God. He cannot get an answer from God. And remember, you know, the, the, God's word promises us that uh, if we hide sin in our hearts, he will not hear us, you know. And, and Saul has, has much sin that he's stored up to this point. He's, he's disobeyed God. He's pursued David. He keeps going back to fighting against David. And at this point in his life, if Saul really wanted to do what was right, he really should have tried to reconcile himself with David somehow. Uh, not, sh not sure what exactly he should do, but he shouldn't. This is the course of action that he takes is, is not the right one here. It's clearly uh, forbidden what he's going to do. But Saul knows, and we'll, I'm getting ahead to, of where I want to go. Let's look at verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. And that's something that was commanded in the Mosaic law to do. But Saul knows about these people that supposedly can commune with the, with the dead, with evil spirits, you know, a seance type things. He knows about this pr practice that he has tried to put out of the land. And he's going to come back to this. Verse 3 is really introductory to what follows here. Verse 4, And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. And I think what you see here is Saul finally reached a point where he wakes up, he's, he had hardened himself so much, he'd already been told that he disobeyed God. He'd been told what's coming in the future. The kingdom is rent from him. He's already received that from Saul, Samuel. He's already been really rebuked by David and David's having the opportunity to kill him twice. And yet he, he seems very hardened to some of those things. Yes, he, for a time he'll, he'll act repentant, act like he wants to get his, himself right, but then he falls back into you know, pursuing David and trying to kill him most of the time. But here now he's, really, he's truly shaken. He's shaken to his core. He's, he is afraid. His heart is 
greatly trembled in verse 5. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, verse 6, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. And there's some passages that speak of this in Exodus 28.30, Leviticus 8.8, 1 Samuel 23. So we've looked at the principle of Urim and Thummim before. And apparently, whatever it was in Exodus 28.30 and Leviticus 8.8, it's placed in the breastplate of the high priest. Some believe it's some stones. And some, some, in some way, it was also associated with the ephod that was worn by the priest. And it doesn't describe them specifically. Maybe it was so that they wouldn't be duplicated and people wouldn't try to use them to, to div, do some kind of divination that trying to replicate what the priest did, the high priest, that God gave him a way of discerning a yes, no, or no answer whatsoever from the Lord using the Urim and Thummim. And also you had dreams, you had visions, all these ways that were ways that God spoke to man in the Old Testament before his word was completed. Now we, we don't have these today. I don't believe in uh, dreams or visions or signs or any of this stuff being something that God would use today to speak to us because everything we need to, to know really is in God's word and, and to, can be sought after, learned through applying the principles in God's word to our situations. The Bible is our norm for people, believers, to use in applying to situations in our lives to discern God's will for us today. But Saul, and you know, at this time, the, God's word's not completed, so God did use some of these methods in the past and in, throughout the Old Testament, uses some of these methods to make his will known. And Saul is seeking to know God's will in this way, and God is not answering him in any of these ways. He's not answering. So this silence from God really troubles Saul. And he's very desperate at this point. He's feeling very, he has no direction from the Lord. You know, should he go out to battle against the Philistines? What should he do? And of course, this, this battle is going to be used to, to bring about you know, Saul's death. And he's going to learn that shortly here. But he's not supposed to do the, what he desperately decides to do in, in the next part here. Saul will turn to sorcery to try to obtain a message from God or from Samuel. Let's look at verse 7 through 11. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And remember, there's a similar situation in the book of Acts where there is a, a girl who's possessed by a demon, and that demon gives her some ability to foretell people's futures, a for, fortune-telling type of thing. And, you know, this throughout history, there's been this type of activity that's going on. It's demonic, you know, things like Ouija boards and all of that. It's very much seances, all, all stuff that people should avoid, and definitely Christians. Amen. And uh, all of that, very satanic. There is some truth and reality to it. And, and I believe that uh, 
that is used here. Uh, in, at least Saul is about to use it. If it doesn't work because there's something that goes, seems to go differently in this case. And perhaps that's not what happens. Commentators disagree about what the result here is, but certainly Saul is setting out to use the sorcery. Maybe he doesn't even understand it himself, but he knows of it. He knows he's uh, had, he's been following God's command by removing the wizards and witches from the land, having them killed. And he knows, you know, that this practice exists because of his involvement with trying to remove it from the land. So he turns in desperation to this sorcery. And remember, in the, in, to finish the line of thought, I started with the woman who would follow Paul around in, in Acts, you know, saying, hey, this, this is a, you know, a man of God, of God, you know, speaking of who, she, who he was to other people, he didn't want a demon-possessed woman doing that, and it was disruptive, and so he cast the demon out. And not, not immediately, but he did eventually cast the demon out. And then the people who she belonged to, who she was, was working for, were very angry that she did that because now she couldn't tell people's fortunes for them because she didn't have that demon giving her that ability to do that. And that seems to be something similar to what's going on here. This woman is at least associated with, whether she really has that power or not, she's associated with the demonic influence and associated with the sorcery and some kind of power to foretell the future or to call up the dead, necromant, um, the practice of speaking to the dead, a seance type event, you know, very uh, dark and uh, forbidden, demonic, satanic um, involvement here. But it's been going on throughout history, apparently, as, as it's forbidden all the way back in, in the Law of Moses. So look at verse 8. Notice Saul disguises himself. He's showing a further, you know, how desperate he is. He disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And where he had inquired of his servants in the previous verse, verse 7, his servants said, Behold, there's a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And he said, I pray to thee, in verse 8, to the woman, Divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. So this is very similar to asking someone to perform a seance today or speak to a Ouija board or something of that nature. Something that there is some reality to. That there is some demonic power. They do have some foreknowledge or supernatural ability, supernatural, you know, evil ability. These are perhaps fallen, this, this would be, you know, fallen angels. They have the supernatural power uh, under the authority of Satan and they can interact with, with humans and, and do here. Or at least she presumes to begin to do so. And that's where some disagreement uh, will arise. But uh, look at verse 9. And the woman said, Behold, thou knowest that Saul, what Saul hath done. So she, at this point, she doesn't know that he's Saul, but she knows that her life's in danger if anybody finds out who she is. Look at verse 9. How he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? 
And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. And this is just kind of messed up when you think about it. He's speaking the name of Jehovah God, who he has disobeyed, who he has not been able to get an answer from. So now he's going to Satan to get an answer, and he's swearing by the name of God that he's going to spare the woman working under Satan to get him information that he's seeking. Um, it's you know, very twisted, very desperate scenario here. In verse 10, so he's, he promises there won't be a punishment for this thing. Verse 11, then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. And this is something you know, that people claim to, to be able to do through seances, to speak to a dead, whether it's perhaps a demon impersonating that dead person. You know, but they claim that personalities exist after death and that they have, that these mediums like this woman have ability to contact them and speak to them. And I have not studied that out, don't want to, and so I don't, but let's just look at what the Bible says. And we're gonna look at now at the second proof of the hopelessness of disobeying God and losing his direction for our lives that we find in the second proof here is God's message of doom to Saul. Or perhaps we could just say this message of doom. Maybe we shouldn't even put God, God's on there. I mean, because God has already given him this message. It's just being repeated. Whether it's being repeated actually by Saul, Samuel somehow being allowed by God to give this message to the woman or whether the woman just has this common knowledge of what has already been said to Samuel and is using that. That's, that's another theory out there. I tend to disagree with that one. Or whether it's actually Satan taking advantage here, realizing that he has the opportunity to further discourage Saul because we see this later. And it, we do have a similar situation, I guess you would say, with Judas, where Satan had entered into Judas. And then after Judas betrays Jesus, Judas has this sense of hopelessness. And this is something we see at work in the world today as well. Satan wants, what he ultimately wants is the destruction of human lives. And he, he you know, wants people to commit suicide. Suicide is really a satanic, demonic you know, act that uh, Satan wants. He gets Judas to do it. He's going to end up getting Saul to do it in desperation when he is... Uh, feels like it's hopeless and he's about to be killed by the Philistines anyway, but he's going to use this at least to discourage Saul. And so some commentators would say that this is actually going to be Satan speaking to the woman to get Saul to just completely despair, like Judas despairs and hangs himself. And he wants Saul to feel that same way, that there is no hope whatsoever. He's completely hopeless, just go die. Uh, so perhaps that is the case. Uh, let's look at what, what, let's examine this message of doom. The witch, um, verse 12, um, begins to carry out what Saul has asked her to do, to, to bring up Samuel. Or at least, you know, some commentators even think that she's just pretending, maybe she doesn't actually have this power, maybe she just pretends to bring someone up and then speaks a very generic message and maybe she has some common knowledge and does that or maybe what some would say here is notice in verse 12 something seems to go unexpected for the woman 
that this is not just something that's part of her trade, but something goes differently than usual here in verse 12. Notice what happens, verse 12. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. So apparently she's not expecting to see Samuel. So she thinks, and the, and the Bible says she sees Samuel. A lot of commentators say, no, she didn't really see Samuel. She sees Satan pretending to be Samuel. Um, it says she says sees Samuel. I tend to go with what the Bible actually says. It, I, it says she saw Samuel. Some commentators disagree that that's what it means anyway, but she cried with a loud voice. So apparently she recognizes, whoa, this is Samuel, and uh, at least one commentator that seems to agree with me, he, he, he notices that she has more to fear from a man of God than she does from Satan. She's, she's used to working with demons, and she's not afraid of them, but she's afraid of Samuel, which seems to indicate that this somehow is really him being allowed, because we know God has allowed you know, Moses and Elijah to come back you know, at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is very different here, very different situation. But this could be God using the circumstances here, something unusual. But then most commentators disagree and say, why would God do that? God didn't answer him by dreams, visions, or thrum or thumb. Why would God answer this way through something he's forbidden? So it is very kind of a little bit controversial, a little different, a little weird. But what I see here in, in verse 10, uh, excuse me, verse 12, is that she cries with a loud voice. And it, verse 12 says, the woman saw Samuel. And she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And I think the reason God allows this, and I, I, do, I do believe God allows Samuel to somehow make an appearance to the woman. We don't see that Saul ever sees him. He only trusts what the woman is saying, perhaps as, as a rebuke to what the woman is doing, perhaps to, you know, to scare her into never doing this again, because apparently she's very accustomed to it. That's part of her trade. Uh, the only thing keeping her from doing it is her being a, afraid of the external forces that would, would put her to death if she should be found out to be breaking the law in this way. Otherwise, you know, she seems to have no quarries against doing this. Part of her, her trade, something that she's studied, that she would do otherwise if, she, if her life was not in danger, because she does or at least she attempts to, but something seems to go very wrong, very different than what she's expecting. And the woman spake to Saul saying, notice what she immediately knows. She sees Samuel, she recognizes him as Samuel, according to verse 12, and she immediately realizes, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't just some man asking me, this is King Saul, because Samuel wouldn't appear to me otherwise. I mean, this has to be King Saul. Who else would Samuel actually come back from the dead to speak to? Who would, how would this even be possible? That's, she, she immediately reaches that conclusion. Why hast thou, she says to Saul, why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. It's again, why I believe that this is actually Samuel somehow making a, a post-death appearance and just uh, completely disrupting Saul and the woman, the witch's plans here by doing this. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. 
So notice the woman is afraid. Perhaps she's afraid of Samuel. Perhaps she's afraid of God. You know, perhaps the fear of God has got into her a little bit. Perhaps she's afraid, that, well, this is King Saul who's actually putting witches to death. This is all just a trick. And now Samuel, someone who's dead, a prophet, is collaborating with Saul to put me to death, to figure out that I am really a witch, expose me, put me to death. I don't know. We don't know exactly what she's thinking, but she's, we know she's afraid. Uh, it's an interesting situation. Uh, but she said, I saw gods, which the word here, Elohim, doesn't, refer, doesn't have to refer to God. It can refer to a spirit or a ghost. Uh, you can put that word there. I saw a spirit. I saw a ghost ascending out of the earth. And it doesn't have to be. It is, is labeled here as gods. And perhaps you know, in her pagan mind, maybe that's what she really is saying in the original language, or it could also you know, speak of a, a singular spirit or ghost because uh, the word Elohim is, is, is also used for God, describing him as a plural uh, entity, you know, one God and three persons. But uh, that's, that's how she describes you know, what she sees. Saul can't see it. Only she can see it, which is interesting because notice that Saul already had tried to inquire of God through uh, dreams and, and Urim and Thummim and none of that, none of it is being answered. So Saul still can't see Samuel for himself. He has completely lost his direction. God will not answer him directly. And so Saul has to rely on this woman to tell him what she is seeing and tell him what she is hearing, apparently. Um, verse 14, And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. So just from the description she gave, this is apparently how the um, prophets, how the uh, judges would dress with this mantle to distinguish them as, as uh, God's judge. Saul perceived that it was Samuel and stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And now apparently Saul apparently can hear him. And Saul answered, I am sore distressed. For the Philistines make war against me. And remember, Saul has proven his character in this way before. When he was sore distressed, and Samuel tarried while he was still alive, Saul couldn't wait and offered the sacrifice himself. This kind of fits that same thing. He's, he's desperate, he'll do anything, even if it's forbidden, to try you know, to, to calm his fears. So fear can lead us to, to making wrong decisions and disobeying God. It has in the past for Saul, and it's con he's continuing in that trend here. Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me that I, what I shall do. Then said Samuel, and again, some commentators think this is Satan speaking, uh, but, it, but the Bible says that Samuel, um, the person... So I, I just tend to think 
God has somehow allowed Samuel to come back and give this message of, of doom to Saul, and perhaps partly as a rebuke for his even seeking to go through a witch. But uh, you know, some commentators say, well, if it was really Samuel, wouldn't he have given him some advice of, hey, repent, go reconcile yourself to David, go get your house and, you know, wouldn't there be something positive? It's all negative, it's all stuff that's been said before, Satan just quoting from the past and trying to make Samuel despair, despair uh, Saul despair, excuse me. Then said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing that the Lord has departed from thee? And there, I think that's just another hint that this is Samuel because he's rebuking him seeing that the Lord has departed from thee and has become thine enemy. So notice here, God has become Saul's enemy. Saul has become the Lord's enemy. Samuel points out the Lord will not answer Saul because Saul has become his enemy. And then some, some will contribute these words to Satan. But uh, the verse says Samuel. Verse 17. And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executeth his fierce wrath upon the Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And you see, those who take this to be Satan will say, well, see, he's telling him, hey, you're going to be with me tomorrow. But, uh, you know, also there is, before Christ dies, you have, you know, the parable, it's not a parable, it's a story that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus and they're separated by a gulf. And, uh, you know, the rich man wants Lazarus. He can see him, wants him to go and give him a drop of water to cool his tongue because uh, the rich man's in torments. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. I believe that's where Samuel is, and this is all under the earth at this point until Christ dies and allows them um, to go up, up to heaven. But... Um, uh, so I believe that's where Samuel is and has somehow been allowed by God to give this message of doom. But the different people will, will take this differently. Um, and he's telling him, Tomorrow thou and thy sons shall be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So here's the message of doom, the third proof. Samuel reminds Saul of his disobedience. First, Samuel points out that God doesn't answer Saul because Saul has made himself God's enemy. Second, um, Samuel reminds Saul of his disobedience to God that led him to this, reminds him why this has happened. And then Samuel prophesies of Saul's loss in battle and death. Saul and his sons will join Samuel tomorrow. And... Uh, and his sons. So I think that they all do end up, I don't, I don't take the position that Saul is the same category as Judas, never a believer, yes, Pastor McClure. Uh, when, when, when Samuel says to uh, Saul, tomorrow you will be with me. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned about the, where the righteous dead go. Now this can be interpreted or understood two ways, that tomorrow 
Saul is going to be with Sam with Samuel in the place where the righteous are. Mm -hmm. Because he also said in your son again, I imagine talking about Jonathan because Jonathan dies with Saul. So uh, we know that Jonathan was a believer. So uh, this may indicate that Saul was saved or what Samuel could mean by this, tomorrow you're going to be with me, meaning that he was going to be dead. Yep, and some take it that way as well, that you're just going to be in the grave, you're going to be the ground like I am. Some take it that way, but I tend to agree that this, you, could, you might be able to see that hope that he is going to be with Samuel, with Jonathan, and uh, that he's not like Judas, a completely you know, unsaved person. That you know, somebody, He's somebody that has certainly disobeyed and is receiving the punishment with his life and also being cut out of life, you know, taken away from because of his because of a sin. He's paying the consequences. There's another problem that, mm -hmm. that I face, I don't know if you face it, but I face If Saul was ever saved in his early life, if Saul was ever saved, I believe that you are secure when you're saved. That would say, to me at least, that even though Saul had been disobedient and turned away from God, that he was still a saved man. And uh, I also believe that uh, you know, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come upon him the way that the Holy Spirit did if he was never saved. If he wasn't, you know. And, and back then, they're looking forward. They're believing what God has revealed to them at that point, to up to that point, about you know, the, the coming of the Messiah and about God and worshiping God and what they've been revealed to that point. And he doesn't have all what we have looking back. So, but in, this, in the, the way that we look back to our Savior, they looked forward with whatever they knew to that point. And I, and I, I believe he falls into that category, that he was a worshiper of God and he just uh, chose to live selfishly, as even some Christians do today, live for themselves, uh, do what's gonna benefit him, look out for himself. And that's led him you know, out of fear and selfishness and jealousy to do the things that he did, not necessarily because he wasn't saved, but. Most people that I talk to about Saul and I ask them whether or not they believe Saul was saved, I guess uh, nine out of 10 would say no, that Saul was not saved. But you, you, you run into some problems, I think, in both areas. And uh, the grace of God is, is uh, beyond my comprehension. You know, Romans says we're, we're sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And uh, if Saul was saved at any time in his life, then Saul was saved. And uh, that may be a difficult pill for people to swallow, but God's grace is sufficient. And uh, so I guess one of the things we'll have to do is we'll have to wait. <laughs> Look around heaven yeah. to somebody who's head and shoulders above everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Five foot six. <laughs> Pardon? He was saying everybody in heaven is going to be five foot six. Yeah, when, you know, when Christ appears, we'll all be like him. But anyway, yeah, that was a discussion in Sunday school this morning. But yes, um, and you know, I think Puritans like um, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, took the position that Saul was not saved and then he went to hell. Um, that's it mentioned in Pilgrim's Progress. Um, so that's interesting, something that I, I do believe he, he was a believer and uh, that uh, Saul, 
David makes a similar, makes a plea to God after his sin with Bathsheba, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, because he knew the Holy Spirit was taken from Saul. That does not, that does not mean that he, his salvation was taken, but the Holy Spirit, his service, because uh, the Holy Spirit came upon people, did not permanently indwell all believers in the Old Testament, came upon them for a set amount of time and then would leave, left Samson for a while as well. But uh, let's look at the third proof, the final proof of the hopelessness of disobeying God and losing his direction for our lives is in, we see that in Saul's, that third proof is in Saul's distraught reception of the message of doom that he receives. Let's look at that, that final message and his response to it. Verse 20. Then Saul fell straightway all along on the earth and was sore afraid. So he basically he collapses out of fear. He collapses. He falls on the ground because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all day nor all night. So he was fasting. And the woman came unto Saul. And I think here you have a similar idea to what happens with David. He's fasting and praying and seeking the Lord for the life of his son after he sinned with Bathsheba and God said through Nathan, he's gonna, your son's going to die. And his son is sick. But all the time he's sick, David is fasting and praying and weeping and hoping that God will spare his son and will have mercy as long as the son is still alive. When the son dies and they bring word to him, they're afraid to tell David at first in that situation because they're saying, He's so upset now. What's he going to be like when he, when, when he actually finds out his son's dead? But David actually picks himself up, cleans up, goes and eats, and moves on because he, there's nothing he can do about it now. It's decided. And uh, he's going to go to him, but the son's not going to come back to him. And, and, and Saul actually has to have other people encourage him in that way. That yeah, the best thing you can do now is you know, eat and pick yourself up and accept what's about to happen and face it. And so he, he will do that, verse 21. But his first response, his initial response is just despair. He collapses. He, verse 21, And the woman came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled and said unto him, Behold, thine handmaid hath obeyed thy voice, and I have put my life in my hand. Perhaps she's still worried that he's going to you know, take his frustration out on her, have her put to death. And have hearkened unto the words which thou spakest unto me. Now therefore I pray thee, hearken now also unto the voice of thine handmaid, and let me set a morsel of bread before thee, and eat, that thou mayest have strength when thou goest on the way. But he refused, and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, compelled him. And he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed. And the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it, and took flour and kneaded it, and did bake unleavened bread thereof. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did eat. And then they rose up and went away that night. And of course, the next time we'll find Saul will be in that battle that he's going to lose, and his sons, you know, his oldest three sons, including Jonathan, will die. And we'll look at that probably next week combined with uh, David's uh, situation with the Philistines as well. So now we have examined three proofs from 1 Samuel 28 of the hopelessness 
that comes with disobeying God and losing His direction in our lives. But that hasn't happened for us. And, you know, we, and we're still alive. We haven't received this message of doom that Saul has. But, the, you know, doom is what uh, those who are, who are about to die, the, those who are lost still, who need the gospel message, you know, for us, we can take, you know, we can learn from Saul's mistakes and uh, take comfort in the hope that we do have in that Saul had so many opportunities throughout his life where he could have sh and should have turned back to God. And God allowed him to stay king as long as he did, perhaps partly because of his mercy. And he, he, he used Saul to teach us some, some lessons. And, and they're certainly very potent here. And, but we can learn here that ultimately, you know, Saul, he enjoyed his power and his wealth perhaps for a time. And that's what, what some people in the world, and speaking of the unsaved, but also people who are believers who live more for this world than for the world to come. And there's a hopelessness that comes with that. Uh, we don't, have to, we don't have to live that way. Um, and we can encourage others not to as well. Again, so we've looked at three proofs of the hopelessness that comes with disobeying God and losing His direction for our life. First, He could not find any direction from God in the ways that God would normally speak to Him. He could not find it. And so He turned to a desperate means of hearing a message from Samuel And then we found the second proof of the hopelessness that comes is in that message of doom that he received through Samuel, according to the, you know, the words here that Samuel made an appearance and gave, spoke this message to him, you know, telling him that he's made himself, the reason he can't hear from God, he's made himself the enemy of God. He's already disobeyed God, turned away from God. And... And now he's, he's, he's facing the consequences of that. And that, that is the end of his life. And he foretells that, that battle. The information that Saul was looking for, he does get. It's not what he wanted to hear, but he does get the message that he, he was looking for. Um, what would be the result? What would happen? What should he do? And he picks himself up. He does, in the end, go and face... Um, the consequences that he's earned, that he's been storing up. And uh, it, it, one, another application you could add here is that you know, nations don't live e eternally. They, they are punished here on earth. Israel, for whatever the part they had with them, there's going to be some consequences in that battle for them as well. Um, a lot of it is due to the evil leader, and that's all the more important that we, we pray for our leaders, let's pay for Donald Trump, that he does not become like King Saul in any way. Let's keep him in prayer. Let's pray for his salvation, especially. And let's be a light to those around us. They don't have to. Ultimately, even those who seem like they've got it all going for them in this life, if they're disobeying God, and they're not following God's direction for their life, ultimately they're going to reach a place of hopelessness in their life. 
whether it's in losing rewards that they could have earned and losing that peace that they would otherwise have in, in God as believers, or even, you know, if they never come to Christ, that actually losing their, their soul and suffering eternal punishment. But we are not in that category, and we can learn from this lesson of hopelessness that we see with Saul. And then also, finally, of course, his, his response, his depressed response that needs other people to help pick him up and encourage him and have him eat and, and face the consequences that he's earned. Let's, let's bow for prayer. Could I make a comment yes. before you do that? Yep. I was thinking about uh, 